Hey listeners, my name is Aditya and you're listening to State of the Pod. Could you imagine a world where you could pick and choose what your child looks like? Everything from their height to their looks and even to the way they think. You could prevent diseases, enhance muscle volume, and even make them glow in the dark if you're into that kind of stuff. With the development and enhancement of genetic engineering technology like CRISPR-Cas9, we're getting closer and closer to being able to manipulate genes in humans. There are some caveats though. How could gene editing affect future generations? How could it go wrong in the embryo? Who's consenting to all this? I invited Dr. Thomas Fox, a geneticist from Cornell University, to discuss some of these issues. Take a listen. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Thomas Fox, I'm professor of genetics at Cornell. Uh, one of the teachers in the uh, introductory genetics class that bio majors take here. So as you know, today's conversation is about designer babies. All right. So let's just get some of the basics out of the way. CRISPR has basically been used as kind of like a buzzword for genetic modification. Right. But I don't think a lot of people know exactly how it works. Right. So I was wondering if you could shed some light on, you know, some of the mechanics, like what it does, what it can do. Well, the, the important thing about CRISPRs is that they can be targeted to cleave specific places in a genome, basically sequences of actually 22 nucleotides in base pairs long. A random sequence that long is likely to be unique in a genome, or at least almost unique. And the importance of it is that if you cleave a genome in a specific place, you can target mutations to that place, either more or less random increases or decreases in the length, or in many cases you can repair the break by copying in new information that you can add to the cell. What CRISPRs have done is made it very easy to target essentially or almost any position in a, in a genome. So you can basically change whatever you want about That's an right, organism. That's right, but you don't always know what change you're going to get. <laughs> so we don't know exactly what we're doing when it comes to gene editing. Well, we have a reasonable understanding of what happens, but there are basically two different processes that occur when you CRISPR breaks the DNA and then the cell wants to put the chromosome back together again. And one way it can do that is by simply taking the ends and stitching them back together again. But, of course, if it reconstitutes the site that the CRISPR is looking for, the CRISPR will simply cut it again. And that will happen until a mutation changes the sequence that the enzyme is looking for in the DNA, and that's a mutation. The alternative is, and it's, it's, it's a separate pathway of repair, is to use another DNA sequence that looks like the region surrounding the cut to essentially copy that information across where the break was and put it into the chromosome. So if you add a template for that repair reaction, you can put modifications into the template that at some frequency will actually wind up in the chromosome when it's repaired. So before we started this interview, we briefly talked about whether or not this can be applied to humans. Yeah, and well, you had an interesting idea you were getting onto, but well, uh, the, the first answer to your question, could this be applied to humans, is definitely yes. I mean, it can be applied to virtually any organism. The problem with applying it to a fertilized egg is you know the target sequence you're targeting usually, and if it's unique, it should be just that sequence. But exactly what's going to happen is not under your control. What could happen? You could get the kinds of mutations you're looking for. 
at some frequency, it's clear that now these breaks can involve much bigger, can, a pair of these breaks can involve much bigger deletions than you anticipated, which can cause problems. And it could even cause rearrangements of chromosomes, which can cause real problems. The other thing that you need to remember is that as the embryo is developing from a fertilized egg, it divides while these events are happening so that the end result, and we know this from studies in mice and other organisms, Drosophila, everything, you wind up with organisms that are composed of cells that have different genetic modifications in different cells. Just to kind of talk about the legality of it in terms of research today, right. what are, what's the status of you know, this kind of research in the U.S.? The real controversy is the application of it to actual people. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> to my knowledge, and I'm no expert on this, is not allowed in this country. Uh, yeah. it, at least not by federally funded research dollars. It's not entirely clear to me what happens if you use your own money to go do this. The reason I want to get into this is because, as you probably know, there was yes. something like this that happened in China just Correct. a few just, years ago. Well, it, babies supposedly were born last fall. Yeah, yeah. So they deleted the CCR5 right. gene to make them immune to HIV, among other yes. things. Well, and potentially more susceptible to other viruses. It's not entirely clear. Right, CCR5 yeah. CCR5 yeah. is a gene that uh, is in all humans, but it turns out in some parts of Northern Europe, forms of that gene that are defective surprisingly common, and it's not entirely clear why that's true. It turns out that people who have two defective copies of this gene are immune to HIV because the protein coded by that gene is actually part of the receptor that the virus uses to get into cells. So theoretically, we could go in and, I guess, cure HIV if we perfect this technique. Yes, except that gene is in most people, and there's bound to be a reason that that gene is in most people. It's not doing nothing. There is a real benefit to populations to not have everything be the same. Yeah. Because when smallpox kills a lot of people, it doesn't kill everybody. The people who survive <laughs> tend to have genetic variants that make them a little bit less susceptible to smallpox. Uh, this has been demonstrated in agriculture over and over again, where people have monocultures of the same crop and some pathogen that was not there before comes along and wipes it all out. It happened to corn in this country in the 1960s, I believe. You wouldn't want to have everybody on the planet have the same genotype uh, for a variety of, <laughs> for reasons we may not know. Yeah. But that gene has some function. It's helping somebody somewhere. And um, while it's clear that normal people can get by without it, it's not clear that if everybody was missing it that we wouldn't have a population deathly susceptible to something. I wanted to get into the ethics of it all. So one of the biggest points that people that are against this bring up is that inequalities in genetic makeup will arise. In other words, people that are gene edited will be favored over people that aren't. Well, that issue is endemic in society now. Right? Yeah. I mean, we are talking about rich people's medicine. We're not yeah. talking about something that is going to solve any major public health issue. Uh, tuberculosis and malaria will continue to kill millions of people every year, no matter how many gene-edited babies are born in the United States or in China. If it turns out we knew enough about how to modify uh, the human genome to produce some fashionable result, let us say, 
yes, presumably those children, as they grow up, would have advantages, assuming that the fashion didn't change. Yeah. And they might have medical advantages that others don't. The problem is that most of the things that we care about, traits, personality, yeah. athletic ability, you name it, these are not things that are controlled by alterations of single genes. Right. And we know this from quite clearly from studies of these traits and how they are inherited. They typically involve small differences in many different genes that add together in different ways in different people to produce the end results. I mean, right now, people who are born with unusual athletic ability have big advantages. If they play a sport that's a major pro sport, they can make a lot of money. You just don't know who's going to have it, right? I don't think anybody knows, I'm sure, that nobody knows how to modify a genome to, to make a couple of kids that can play hockey like Wayne Gretzky. We don't know how to do that. And it's unlikely that we will in my lifetime or your lifetime or perhaps ever because the, the combinatorial possibilities of all of the variation in the human population are so enormous and so many of them contribute to almost every trait you can right. think of. That, I think, will save us from seeing this become a very wide... I think people start to do this, they're going to be disappointed with the results. Not to mention, it is not entirely clear how the children born, knowing that their parents altered them for a specific purpose, which they may or may not actually be interested in when they grow up, how they're going to react to all this. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential unintended consequences here. And as a geneticist, I assume you've seen the movie Gattaca? Uh, no, I haven't. So basically the plot line, these two children, one of them was genetically modified. And basically the one who was genetically modified was able to, you know, do all these amazing things and go up into space. And the one that wasn't or was condemned to these low standard jobs. Sounds like Brave New World. Yeah, yeah basically, yeah. So, But that might not have actually, first of all, we can't do that. We don't know how yeah. to do that mm -hmm. now. And how that actually plays out in the family and who winds up living a happier life is not so predictable in that yeah. situation. That your ability to control what happens is not so good. We can target a specific site in the genome with this, or several sites, but we can't be completely sure what is going to happen there at each one of those sites. I think that has gotten lost in some of the hype about our ability to direct genetic modifications. When we're working with mice, you see, we can do exactly what we want to do because we can inject many mouse embryos, breed the mice, get those mice that have the alteration we want, and then, of course, propagate them and do all kinds of cool stuff. And you can do that with essentially any organism that you can breed. But you can't do that with people. <laughs> you can't. You're stuck with whatever that individual modification turned out to be after the fact. And there's been no data that I'm aware of published on these Chinese babies, but uh, I do remember at least some reports suggested that one of them didn't have both copies of CCR5 knocked out. And from mouse studies, it's almost certainly true that these two girls are both composed of different cells that have different genotypes. Because you can't possibly get every single you know cell to not have this gene. In principle, you could but uh, you can't be sure that that happened because you're injecting an embryo and the embryo starts to divide. And remember, when the cell manages to put the chromosome back together again properly, it gets cut again. 
So that happens and the cell divides and now you have two good copies but you're continuing to cleave early in embry embryogenesis. Something happens here, if the cell, descendants of that cell have it, something else happens here, the descendants of that cell have it. And exactly what they have, you don't know beforehand. Just going back to CRISPR a little bit, what is the efficacy of it? How effective is it at doing its job? Well, when injected into mouse embryos, you can be fairly confident that the resulting mouse will have DNA sequence changes at that target in all of its cells, albeit not all the same changes. And usually, if you pick a target appropriately, you can be fairly confident that the changes will destroy the activity of that gene. The less efficient process is bringing in some directed change where you know exactly what change in the sequence you want to make, and that's where you use a template that is co-injected with CRISPR to provide information for copying across the break and putting new information in there. And that happens in a significant fraction of events, but not every one of them. This is why I keep bringing it back to a human embryo. You, statistics isn't your friend here. You got one shot for each individual person that's going to emerge from this yeah. process. <laughs> and, and the ethics of that uh, are, for most of us, substantially different from the ethics of working on mice. Just to kind of conclude, what are your thoughts on gene editing? I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> Do you think it's inevitable? Well, it, it, yes, obviously somebody's done it. I mean, when something becomes possible, somebody decides to do it. Right? Yeah. It's a big world of 7 billion people. Do you um, think eventually it will become a part of you know, modern culture? I suspect that that won't happen because if, if it does become something that a significant number of people try, the results by and large are not going to be so impressive. Uh, there are some things we know how to change. Uh, the argument is often made that you could get rid of an inherited disease in a family. We already know how to do that. Because, if, in other words, if your ethics are plastic enough to condone genome modification of a child that can't consent to this, they, I would assume, are flexible enough to generate several fertilized embryos and pick the ones that don't have the mutation and put... and, and allow them to become people. And in most cases, that would eliminate an inherited disease from the next generation for a given family. So the argument has been made that there's no point to germline editing at all. And I subscribe to that. That's very different from somatic cell. So, so you could take a person, for example, who has sickle cell anemia, let us say, who's got two bad copies of this gene, take cells out of their body genetically modify them to effectively fix the problem, get the cells that you know have the correction, and throw away the ones where something else happened, propagate those cells and transplant them back in the person and potentially cure a genetically inherited disease without changing that individual's germline. It would still pass defective genes along to the next generation, but the person would be cured. That seems to me to be completely uncontroversial. So, so I just wanted to get that distinction in there because there really is a big difference between changing a person and potentially all of their progeny using somatic that is non-germline cells uh, as, a, as a potential. So treatment. for those people that think that germline editing is the end-all be-all, it's what we're heading towards, it's the solution for curing these genetic diseases, your response to that would be that no. there is an alternative. 
is an alternative for almost every family. Yeah. That's right. And it does involve selecting which embryos you're going to implant. But new mutations are happening all the time. You're not going to eliminate genetic diseases. And I don't think that this is going to turn out to be something that is widely adopted, although as we've seen, somebody's done it. I'm sure somebody else will do it again. You know, we went through the same thing with cloning. It, it's, it's a... A fad? A well, hype. I don't know if it's a fad, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an indulgence, let us say, of people who can afford to right. spend money on this stuff. I think a lot of people are just intrigued oh, yeah, by obviously. the topic of it. Of course. They see, they see this new technology and what people are doing with it. They see the headlines saying, right. Chinese babies cured of HIV. The one of the two who is apparently, at least in most of her cells, got two defective copies is, should, in fact, be immune to it. But even she could have a surprise because there could be lymphocytes in her system that are not knocked out. The degree to which we can control this has been exaggerated in the popular press, let us put it that way, which is a major reason for not fiddling around with actual people. So are there any final thoughts you would like to leave? Though we didn't have that much time to talk, Dr. Fox gave me a great glimpse at what scientists think about gene editing. Even though it is surrounded by hype and there are a lot of other ways to artificially select for genes, it is fun to think about what the world would be like if we can climb buildings and shoot webs. My name is Aditya, this is State of the Pod, thank you for joining me.